Acts chapter number 17 this evening. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 10. The Word of God says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined in the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also the, his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now I want you to look back in our text and look at verse number 15 and 16. We'll read this and pray. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him, with all speed they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Now, Lord, I, I pray that if we've not come expecting, that you'll give a sense of expectance and urgency in our hearts tonight. 
Lord, I pray that, Father, we would approach Your Word humble and submitted. And, Lord, that as You do a work in our hearts, we would not kick against it, we would not resist it, but, Lord, that we would just surrender to the wooing and working of Your Spirit tonight. I know that we'll be the better for it. Lord, we love You this evening, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, tonight I want to focus particularly on a phrase that is found in verse number 16, but really on the first few verses that we've read this evening. You say, well, why would you read the entire rest of the chapter? Well, Tom Malone used to say this, that he likes to read a lot of Scripture. That way, if he gets persecuted in one, he can flee to another. Amen? But this evening, I I want us to get a, a framework for the sermon at Mars Hill. The passages that we've read before us are some of the most familiar in the entire book of Acts. And I think all of us like to imagine, or I know I do personally, I I like to see in my mind Paul standing on Mars Hill, this great epicenter of thought and philosophy and logic for its day. Uh, When it talks about in uh, verse uh, number, let's see, 19, when it says that they brought him unto Areopagus, this was a large arena-type area where uh, you could go and hear all sorts of doctrines and all sorts of uh, thought uh, processes and all sorts of ideologies fleshed out and explained and taught. It, It was a place of judgment, but it was also a place of teaching and of learning. And they bring Paul to this place, and he begins to preach to them Jesus and the resurrection. He uses, and this is really a a good lesson on preaching in general. He he points to a particular altar in the long line of the altars that they had there in this pagan culture. And they said, I saw an altar there that said to the unknown God. He says, this is the God that I want to preach to you. The one that though you have all this religion, though you have all this superstition, somehow in the midst of all your religious practice, you have missed the true God of heaven. But really the context this evening, I think, brings us a greater and more valuable lesson than even the substance of what he preaches. Now, I want you to, for a few moments, think about Paul here standing in Athens. The Bible tells us that it was while he was waiting that this event begins to take place. You know, we spend a lot of time in our lives waiting. Don't you know that that's true? If you're married, you know that's true. Amen? We spend a lot of time waiting. It seems as though if you were to add up all of the time that we spend waiting and, and stack it against all the time that we spend doing, we know there'd be much more time spent waiting than there is doing. It doesn't matter what it is, uh, whether it's a matter of uh, uh, government, whether it's a matter of society, whether it's a matter of even sitting at the store. Have you ever noticed that uh, you go to Walmart and they have 700 registers and only two of them open at any given time? And it seems we spend all of our lives waiting. But, you know, I just had this sneaking suspicion that Paul was the type of man that though he was faced with, with times of waiting, as we all are, he chose to make those times of waiting times of doing as well. You see, the event on Mars Hill would have never happened if Paul had been like most of us. I'll tell you how I probably would have been. The Bible tells us that they had sent Paul away to go to the sea. He was causing problems there in Berea. Uh, The Jews of Thessalonica, when they heard that folks was getting saved, they had to come and do something about that. I know some brethren that are that way. And uh, put a stop to that. And so they send Paul away. And here he is in Athens. And he sends word back to Silas and Timothy. And he says, I need you here in Athens. And those that were there with him took the letter and went. And so Paul is left there waiting and he has a choice. 
He could have viewed this period of waiting as a time when he should sit back, relax, recline, and recreate and rest on his laurels. And certainly he could have done that. In fact, if you were to go back into chapter 16, you see the arm of the gospel reach for the first time into Western Europe. And you see converts for the first time on that great continent. Surely Paul could have sat back and thought about all the things that God had done. He could have sat back and said, you know, I've done a pretty good job. Here I am. I'll just take in some of the local scenery and culture and I'll rest for a little while because I know there's work to do later. But that's not what Paul did. The Bible says it was while he was waiting that his spirit was stirred within him. And immediately, man of action that he was, he begins to try to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say to you tonight that if the only time that you serve God is within the four walls of this church, you're not serving God very much. You know God is God to you, whether you're here or whether you're at home or whether you're at the grocery store or at the bank or at your place of, of work. God's still God to you. I wonder if we're still servants to Him in those places. I think one of the crippling things to the church is that we see ourselves only as serving God within these walls. And so we don't get very much done. But you go back to the early church and there were no walls to serve within. But they saw, just as John Wesley had said, the world is my parish. They saw an opportunity to do something for God on every street corner, in every market, in every place of business, in every home that they went into. And so you know what we find? We find that while they were awaiting, they accomplished more than the church does today while it's serving. You see, the truth of the matter is, we're not doing much for the Lord until we see every day as a gift from the Lord and an opportunity to serve Him. Uh, a lot of Christians, the only time they read their Bible is when the preacher says, turn in your Bibles. The only time that they ever pray is when the preacher says, let's have a word of prayer. The only time that they ever witness to anyone is maybe, you know, I mean, the average Christian, if you're really truly born again, you'll probably accidentally get someone saved sooner or later. Amen? I mean, uh, pretty soon somebody's going to come along and say to you, you know, what is it that matters most in life to you? And you might stumble around and accidentally give the gospel out. Somebody might accidentally get saved. But if we would become deliberate with our time, time's such a precious commodity. And if we would live the way Paul did, Paul saw this as an opportunity that needn't be wasted. And he set about immediately to do something for the Lord. Now, I want us to take a few moments, and I want to say four things to you tonight. I've already said more than that, amen? But I, I want to say four things to you about Paul and the way that he lived that I think we ought to model our lives after. I want you to notice, first off, Paul's ambition. We've already preached it for all practical intents and purposes, but notice again that Paul was waiting, but at the same time he was working. He was not sitting on his hands. He looked before him and he saw this great city and he did not just see Athenians. He saw souls that were in need of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes in the midst of the waiting, every one of us is waiting on something. Right now, you're waiting on me to finish. Amen. But we're all waiting on something all the time. We're all waiting for some circumstance to clear itself. We're all waiting for some opportunity to present itself. But you wouldn't believe this, but did you know that you don't have to be in an organized soul-winning effort to win someone to Jesus Christ? Did you know that you don't have to be, uh, we don't have to, and I'm for it, friend. I mean, I, I'm not against it. I'm for it. Anything that will get the gospel into people's hands without compromising the truth of the Word of God, I'm for it. 
I'm not against it. We could load a van up. We could go out. We could knock on doors. And I'd be for that. And we need to do more of that. Amen. I'm pastor enough to admit that, that we need to do more of that than we're doing. But did you know that you don't have to have such a structured uh, environment to win someone to the Lord? And in fact, you'll find this to be true. Did you know that even when you're not in a suit and tie, sinners are still dying and going to hell? Even when no one has given you a street to walk, even when no one has given you a handful of tracks, sinners still need to be one to Jesus Christ. Do you know the people down at the Walmart, they need Jesus. If your Walmart's like my Walmart, they really need Jesus. (laughs) Especially if you go at certain times of the night. And uh, the people at the grocery store, they need the Lord. You see, Paul looked around him and he understood this truth. Do you remember what the Lord exhorted his disciples to do? He said, look on the fields. Therein lies the secret to gaining a burden. If we just look. Most Christians are ostrich Christians with their head buried in the sand all the time. They think if they get on the internet and type out a few things on Facebook or shoot an email or something, they've done their due diligence. But if you just look out, you'd find a world that is lost and on its way to hell and in need of Christ's salvation. We need not wait till someone comes along to pat us on the back. We need not wait till someone comes along to give us directions. If you've been born again, then you have your directions. You have a commission. You don't have to wait for this preacher or this church or any church to give you a commission. There's a great commission that needs to be carried out. And it's to be carried out by individuals. You say, I thought that was the church's responsibility. What's the church but a bunch of individuals that have been saved by the grace of God? You'd be amazed the impact you could have. And I'm not trying to skirt any responsibility that this preacher has, but you'd be amazed the impact you could have for your church in going out and giving out the gospel. You say, well, preacher, I just, you know, I don't know. My health is not that good. Well, do you see people? I don't know anybody here that's a hermit. Do you see people through your day today? I'd say that Paul could have said, well, you know, I'll just wait on Silas and Timothy to get here, but he didn't. He could have said, this is a pause in our missionary journey, and certainly it was. This was not an expected stop. They were supposed to drop Paul off there by the sea, and he was supposed to get in a boat and go on to his next destination, but he said, you know what? Here's people that need Jesus, and here's a field that needs needs reaping. So we see that Paul's ambition, he was waiting, but he was working. If you're waiting on someone to tell you to go out and win people to the Lord, then let me go ahead and tell you that the issue, the orders have already been issued. The job has already been handed out. If you've been born again, it's your responsibility, just as it's my responsibility. You don't have to wait for further instruction. The Lord's given you instruction. You don't have to pray about whether to witness to folks. We don't have to get a committee together to decide whether we need to be evangelistic. All we need to do is just reach out and give someone the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that he was waiting, but he was working. Then I want you to notice Paul's attitude. Look what it says again in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. We see that Paul's attitude was he was sensitive and he was stirred. He could have been, uh, he could have been uh, starry-eyed at all the culture. You go to a place like Athens, you'll see statues that date hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You'll find all the culture and all the art in the world. You know what he saw? He saw a city wholly given to idolatry. He was not dazzled by the culture. He was concerned over the sin problem that that city had. You know, we, we, we talk too much about cultural Christianity. Can I give you cultural Christianity? You know what the culture is? There's two types of people in this world, saved and lost. And those that have never been saved are lost, and the only hope they have is that they might be born again. Uh, If you're looking for somebody that can argue, I can argue. 
I mean, I can argue with anybody. I'll argue with you right now if you want me to argue. I, I, I mean, I, I can argue with a fence post and I can win, too. I mean, I can argue with anybody at any time. I'm good at it. When we was riding to school when I was a teenager, she won't mind me telling this. Uh, when we were riding to school uh, and, and I was a teenager, my mama had one rule in the car, and that was no talking. Amen. Uh, she used to, I remember all the time, we, we would, when we'd be arguing. I, and I used to argue with my mother. Occasionally, I still do it, just so I don't get rusty. And, uh, we, we'd be talking and we'd get to arguing and she'd say, she'd say, I, I need to pay attention to the road. I need to pay attention to the road. Just be quiet. I need to pay attention to the road. You know what that's key word for? That, that was code talk for your winning. She won't admit that, but it was. But let me tell you something. You know, I've never argued anyone to a genuine salvation experience. It's not arguing that gets it done. It's the gospel that gets it done. I'm not saying we shouldn't contend for the faith. I'm not sure saying that we shouldn't be ready always to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. But I'm merely saying this, that all the time we spend arguing and fussing and fighting might be a little better spent in giving the gospel to people that are ready to hear it instead of trying to force the gospel to those that don't want to hear it. There's an entire world out there in need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had someone that uh, emailed me today, and, they, and you don't know them, and I don't know them, but they emailed me, and uh, they had gotten one of our tracks, in fact. And I appreciate those that give out tracks. He said, in nine years, this is the first time I've ever got a track on my door. That both encouraged me and convicted me at the same time. Amen. We need to be doing a better job. And I appreciate those that are doing a good job. I'm not fussing at those. I'm saying those of us that aren't doing enough need to be doing more. Amen. Right. We need to be doing more and we need to be uh, engaging in that effort. But he said this. He said, uh, I, I don't go on visitation at my church because I have a few doctrinal differences. And uh, then he went about to give me a questionnaire. Uh, let me just say, as a pastor, I get a little nervous when I get questionnaires. Amen. Uh, I don't know why they want to know all this about me. I've got a few questions for them most of the time. But uh, he then began. He said, I don't need any explanations. I just want yes or no answers. I know all the explanations. And I thought, boy, man, that's, that's fortunate. I need to talk to this guy. He knows all the answers. But uh, what, what he was trying to do was convince me of a mid-trib or a post-tribulation rapture, uh, which he can't do because there's no Bible for. Amen? Uh, but, but, and that's why I didn't want to discuss it. He just wanted to uh, get these answers. And so I went through and I gave him his little answers. And I said, well, you don't really want to know the answer or else you'd be looking for explanation because these aren't yes or no questions. He said, but here's the question I have for you. Where's your doctrine leading you? I said, you, you say that you won't go out on visitation because of some doctrinal differences? I said, that sounds like bad doctrine to me. You see, when the Word of God was incarnated, it was with the express purpose of seeking and saving that which was lost. Am I right? So that tells me this, that as the Word of God is incarnate in my life, it's going to give me a greater burden to seek and to save that which was lost. I find this, that any doctrine that leads me away from giving the gospel is a doctrine of devils and in direct contradiction with the Word of God. True, good doctrine, the rightly dividing of the word of truth, will lead me to a deeper love of Jesus Christ and a deeper love of lost sinners and a greater desire to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that robs Christ of His preeminence is just a pet doctrine that leads to be ignored. Amen? It needs to be ignored. I'm not saying there's not a place for the whole counsel of God. We're commanded to preach the whole counsel of God. But I'm saying preaching the whole counsel of God will uplift the high and holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it'll give us the same mind that was in Him. And that's what we ought to be striving for, right? Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's what we ought to be striving for. 
You see, the truth of the matter is, as Christians, I don't know how we got there from where we was at, but it don't matter. Amen. We know how to get back where we're going. The truth of the matter is, our attitude ought to be to open our eyes and see that despite all of the debate, despite all of the fussing, despite all of the fighting, they're saved and there's lost, and we need to be endeavoring to win the lost to Jesus Christ. Paul looked around him. He wasn't dazzled by what he saw. He didn't say, boy, I've always wanted to get in here and talk philosophy. I'm sure he did. Paul was a very learned man. He didn't say, what a great opportunity to get in here and to try to debate some of the finer points of logic and philosophy. He said, I see a whole city in need of Christ, and it stirs me. You know what we ought to see when we look out these doors? We ought to have our spirit stirred within us. When we see Knoxville, Tennessee, a city wholly given to idolatry, one of the largest, the, the polls tell us anyway, that it's one of the most homosexual cities in the entire nation. Isn't that true? Uh, we had, when all this stuff happened with the gay marriage, the first thing our did was, uh, that our mayor did was she got on the horn and talked about how thrilled she was at the great progressive action that our nation had taken. I look around at this city, and if my heart's right with the Lord, I'll be stirred as I see a city wholly given to idolatry. Saloons and pubs on every street corner, gambling legalized. Ooh, boy. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'm just convinced sometimes if we preach on a lot of these sins, they wouldn't get into the church as quick as they do. Now, listen, if truth upsets you, I'm sorry. Legalized gambling, that's what the lottery is, right? Hey, go ahead. Get your scratch-off stickers. Hold me up while I'm trying to get gas. Fine. It's legal. But it's still wrong. Still wrong. See, they want to talk about all these scholarships, right? And, and yet still we're trying to socialize the education system in this country to try to make some kind of way for kids to pay. I thought, I thought the lottery was supposed to take care of all that. Isn't that right? Wasn't the lottery supposed to fix all that? No, it didn't fix all that. Sin doesn't fix anything. Sin always makes things worse. I look around and I see a city wholly given to idolatry. And it ought to stir us inside. It ought to move us. It ought to motivate us. Something as big as God gets a hold of you, it's going to change some things. It's going to move some things around. It's going to, we talk about prioritizing. If we'll just put Christ on the throne, it'll prioritize our life how it needs to be. It'll make things how they need to be. We see that he was sensitive and he was stirred. But then notice Paul's approach. Look what it says in verse number 17. Uh, it says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. You know what that means? He went to the religious Jews, and he began to talk with them and witness with them. He went to those that were Gentiles and claimed to be devout. That's where we find ourselves down when he's in Areopagus, down in the next few verses. And then he went in the marketplace daily. Now, if you've ever seen a Middle Eastern or, or, or an Eastern or Western European market, then you know you've seen the picture before, bustling about with people. I mean, so close they can barely breathe. You know what Paul did? Paul got where the people were. We see him doing what? Conversing and communicating the gospel. Uh, I, I'm not going to labor you with, a, with, with rehashing an analogy I've given a hundred times before. But suffice it to say that you'll win a lot more people to the Lord in your day-to-day -day walk than you will with those that are the closest in your family and those that you have never met before in your entire life. You know what he did? He opened a dialogue with people. He started to talk with people. The Bible says daily. I mean, that's what daily means, right? I, I, I think probably some of those folks that had set up market there, they got to know Paul pretty well. 
probably the fellow that, that sold the wares that his wife made, or maybe the person that had brought their fish or their, or their vegetables to market. Uh, but Paul got in the midst of them in the synagogue with the religious Gentiles and with those that were in the market, and he got to know them and began to dialogue with them about Jesus Christ. Those of us that say, I'm, I'm too old, or I don't have my health, or I'm just not able, or I'm just not, uh, not that type of person to witness to someone, uh, you'd be amazed how many of us talk day to day about things that have nothing to do with Christ, with many people that have need of the gospel. Most of us could strike up a conversation. Some of, these, uh, some of you men, you could strike up a conversation with a total stranger at a bus stop about UT football. Man, does UT football mean that much to you? I mean, even when we was winning, it didn't mean that much to me. Amen? We talk about the weather. You say, well, everybody's heard of the weather. Well, you'd be amazed. A lot of folks have heard about Jesus Christ. They just don't know who He is. Not heard much about Him. We can talk, man. We can get excited any number of places. We don't get excited about Him. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just merely trying to draw a line here and get you to see plainly that there's a lot of things that we'll talk to folks about, but we won't talk about Christ with them. I'm saying that right outside those doors are people in need of Christ's salvation. Right outside those doors. Tomorrow, you get up, you go to Walmart. If you're like us, you probably show up there just about every day. Amen? You go to Walmart, you're going to be surrounded by people that need the gospel. Go to the bank. I don't go to the bank as much as I go to Walmart. That's part of my problem. But you go to the bank, you're going to find people that need Christ's salvation. Paul didn't organize an effort. Paul just got out and told folks. I'm not against organizing an effort. But let me tell you something. There's something vastly hypocritical about keeping silent while we're waiting to go out and organize an effort. If we won't talk day in and day out, an effort probably ain't going to do much good. We need to get busy and we need to get serious about it. We see that he was conversing and communicating. But then notice his audience. I'm going to say this and be done. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. I like that word encountered. You know, this was a close encounter they were not expecting. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some he saith to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, I want to say this. That word strange that's there, it has a lot of connotations. I think what they were saying was this. I think the first statement was derogatory. When they said, what will this babbler say? But the next statement I don't think was derogatory. I think what they were saying was this, and and they echoed this later on. Uh, They said in verse number 20, For thou bringest strange, certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. What they meant is, you're saying something we've never heard before. Never heard. Here they were in Athens, the center of knowledge and man's wisdom, and they had never heard about Jesus Christ. You know what I find about his audience? And he did have an audience. And you'll find this to be true. If you'll go, you'll have an audience. There will always be some to hear. They may not gather in stadiums like they do for some of these preachers. They may not gather together. You may not cause as big a stir as the guy downtown does. But if you'll just go, there will always be an audience. And you know what we find? We find that his audience was cynical but seeking. Or could I say this? There was some that were cynical, but there were some that were seeking. You go down a little further and look what it says down in verse uh, number uh, 30. Let's see, verse number 32. It says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. In other words, there were some that said, What a bunch of foolishness. You know, you're still going to find people like that today. 
You're still going to find people like that. My old preacher used to always say, I've only one time in my life had a door slammed in my face. Uh, and he, he grew up in a different time than me, or he was doing something different. I've had a lot of them slammed in my face. I've had a lot of people be ugly to me. Uh, you say, why do they do that? Because they're lost. Because they're lost, and they don't understand what they're doing. You know, I've also had people get saved. And I found this, that I don't sit around thinking about all them doors that slammed in my face, but every once in a while, I'll sit around and think about them folks that got born again. I, I find that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about those that mocked. Oh, but I find a lot of times that I'm thinking about those that accepted Christ as their Savior. There are some that are cynical, true. But let me tell you something. There's some in this world that are still seeking. There's some in this, in this state that are still seeking. There's some in this city that are still seeking. It may not be those that we expect. May even, this sad to say, but this is how the flesh works, may not even be those that we want sometimes. Shame on us for wanting anything other than people coming to know Christ. But there's always some that'll listen, that'll hear. I find that those, and this is something my preacher did tell me, he was in a conversation with somebody one time. Somebody came up to him and said, I just don't like your way of witnessing to people. And uh, he said, well, what way do you have? She said, I don't. He said, I like mine better. I know, that may seem a little ugly, that may seem a little coarse, but let me tell you something, there's a lot of people who want to theorize about soul winning. Very few that want to go out and win people. There's a lot of people who want to sit around and talk about it and compare notes and say this and say that, and there's a lot of folks that want to sit around and say it can't be done that have never tried to do it. You know, i found that those that have tried to do it, they don't ever sit around and say it can't be done. Because when they've tried to do it, they've found out it can be done. People can be won to Christ. The gospel can be given. Ground can be gained. I know our times are different. I know things have changed. The gospel's not. Gospel's not changed. It's still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's still the power of God. It's still able. If we just carry it to people, if we just tell people, you say, well, when are we going to do that? Well, I don't know. When are you going to do that? When are you going to do that? Are you going to do it tonight? I don't know, you may get in your car and drive straight home. Hey, witness to your wife, witness to your husband. <laughs> Say, they're already saved. Well, number one, you couldn't possibly know that for sure. But then number two, uh, you know, if they're like my wife, they need to hear it anyway. Amen? She, that's why I don't believe in women preachers. They'd tell on us. <laughs> Amen? What I'm saying is this, the opportunity's there. The gospel still works. And we can be like a lot of Christians waiting or we can be like Paul, that those waiting is working. He was trying to take every opportunity. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go into work, or maybe you're going to go into the store, wherever you're going to go, you're going to meet somebody in need of Christ's salvation. I believe that. You may not, but I, I believe that's probably so. And what are you going to do with that opportunity? You're going to let it pass by? Paul could have. Paul looked around and saw a city wholly given to idolatry, and it stirred him. If we just look around, it'd stir us. Every moment, people are dying and dropping off into hell. Every moment. What are we going to do with those moments? I believe we can make them count for Jesus Christ. Don't you believe that tonight? I believe we can.